It showed me really how desperate people's lives here are. And it basically enforced my belief in Bitcoin that it is, it is the only tool that is really enabling people to exchange money freely and gives them the possibility to own their own money. That made me more and more realize how important it is also for human rights activists. You're listening to Because of Bitcoin, a podcast that shares the personal stories of how Bitcoin is having a real impact in people's lives, including mine. I'm your host, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, the co-founder and CSO of Ledin. And without further ado, let's get started with today's story. The Bitcoin community is growing every day, and this growth reaches far beyond Twitter or Reddit. A great deal of Bitcoin and users live in developing economies where people need it the most, like Venezuela. Bitcoin means different things for different people. For those facing severe inflation and economic hardship, Bitcoin is a lifeline that allows them to regain control of their money and their financial independence. People like Anita Posh recognize that Bitcoin has the power to materially improve the lives of those who experience economic hardship. When she became aware of this, she decided to dedicate herself to educating others about Bitcoin focusing on teaching tools for those who need it the most. In this episode, Anita joins me from Zimbabwe to tell her story of leaving a career in e-commerce to become one of the leading voices in the African and international Bitcoin communities. She has written a book called Learn Bitcoin, hosts her own podcast, The Anita Posh Show, and founded a non-for-profit called Bitcoin Fairness, an organization that helps educate people in developing countries about Bitcoin with a big focus in Africa. Anita and I have been friends for many years and for full disclosure, Ledin is a proud supporter of her work in Bitcoin for Fairness. We really believe in the work that she's doing and how it is changing lives at a grassroots level. It was fun to be on the other side of the mic with this popular podcast host, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. What I, where I love to start is where in the world did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So, I mean, people know that I'm from Austria. So um, I'm in uh, from the eastern part of Austria. I was born 60 kilometers away from Vienna in a small town with 50,000 inhabitants. Yeah, then I, I got uh, to Vienna to study at the Technical University. I studied urban planning. And um, after finishing that studies in 1997, I realized there's something called the Internet so I always was a little bit in love with computers also. I got my first computer when I was 14 and this was a VC20 Commodore where you could like uh, program your own games in basic. So I also went to a summer school where you learned surfing and, and programming in basic. I, I couldn't do anything with it. I had a book where you could type uh, down, like you, you saw the code in a book and you copied the code and then you programmed the game like that so but you couldn't do anything else with it yeah and I can remember my father asking me so why can't you do accounting or things like that with that device we bought it for you so that you do that things in the year 1997 I got my first email at home and bought a book about html so how to build your own website and there i started experimenting with html and in the year 2000 i thought okay now i really want to do that and so i did another uh, education it was called M multimedia producer 
and we learned how to program CD-ROMs and websites and to use Photoshop and all these kinds of things, which come in very handy for me now because most of the material that's out there is made by myself. So I'm my own designer, basically, and I'm doing my websites and my podcast hosting and everything, you know. Anita always had a desire to see Africa and to go different places. Her inspiration came from her aunt, who had spent time in Africa back in the 70s, and kept showing Anita pictures when she was growing up of the people, the deserts, the animals. And it was a world that was very different from her own. I met a friend. She was in Zimbabwe in the 90s, uh, working for a, like a development project, you know. A few years ago, she went back to Zimbabwe and I thought that's the chance for me, you know, because everybody was talking about how Bitcoin can help uh, countries with hyperinflation like Venezuela and Zimbabwe. It was always these two countries in 2017 (laughs) that I heard of. And in 2020, I thought, okay, everybody is doing the same interviews with the same people. Nobody is actually talking about how Bitcoin can help uh, people in the global south. I mean, I I learned a lot also from Andreas Antonopoulos here because he's the one who also always said the areas or the regions or the people in the world who need Bitcoin the most are those in South uh, and Latin America and in in African countries and in all the countries where you have authoritarian rulers and dictatorships. And so I had this sense and this interest also to connect these people to the world and to find out, do people really know about Bitcoin here in Zimbabwe? Do they use it? What what are the the problems for them with it? How can we connect them to the the rest of of the world, basically? And all of that in a sense of sharing knowledge and not coming here as like, I'm the red person telling you what to do now. And so in 2020, I thought uh, it would be a unique podcast story to go here and to report from the ground. And that's also what I did. And um, so I think I was the first one to also invite people from other parts of Africa to my onto my podcast. And yeah, from there, basically, um, I'm now the third time here in Zimbabwe. I'm just at the moment in Harare. What did you learn back in 2020 about what or how Bitcoin was being used down there? I guess, what was your first impression? Uh, and maybe can you talk a little bit about what that looks like today? Yeah, we need to start there that that all, also in 2020, adoption is, in my sense, on a low level. I mean, Zimbabwe is a country like in 2017, a lot of people used Bitcoin and there was even a exchange and a Bitcoin ATM here in the capital city uh, by an exchange called Golix. But then so many people reported that they've been scammed by Bitcoin, which is of course not Bitcoin, it's the people who are the scammers and, and tell stories about Bitcoin, that the government shut down the, the Golix exchange and at the same time, the, the ATM and made Bitcoin basically not, not banned. It's not banned. You can use it. They don't have really a, a regulation on it. And they say, we like blockchain, but actually Bitcoin, not so much. 
back then I got to meet um, some traders, you know, people who are like trading Bitcoin, US dollars and other coins. And I did a talk back then in 2020 where I would say like 80 people attended. Um, I had a lot of people being interested in earning Bitcoin from abroad, which is still, I think, one of the most interesting use cases for people here. So a lot of my first time being here was adopting uh, to the uh, situation here because the the monetary landscape is so confusing and so crazy you can't even imagine. I mean, being from Venezuela, Mauricio, you may be understand that, understanding that, but I couldn't, you know. Coming here, you have to adopt to a multitude of currencies that are used here. It's like US dollars, Zimbabwe dollar, Botswana Pula, South African Rand, uh, British Pound Sterling. You can use everything in a way, you know. And then you have these different exchange rates. You have the official bank rate and you have the exchange rate on the street. You have people exchanging money on a bank. You have them exchanging it with people who trade uh, US dollars for Zimbabwean dollar. And then, so it's really confusing. And also how the prices are set. I mean, the exchange rates. Every week, I think there is an auction. The central bank then decides what the current exchange rate to the US dollar is. I mean, it's so funny, you know, they, they just sit there and decide that. Then there's also these capital controls. If you have a business here in Zimbabwe and you need US dollars because you want to pay a company from abroad for goods that you want to import, you need to apply at the central bank for these US dollars that they exchange. It's not a credit. It's not a loan. You have the money. So then they grant you that money, but then you don't get it. The central bank is paying your bills. <laughs> so they control basically everything. Yeah, Every day, the first question people ask is, what is the rate today? Because of this high inflation, like in July, there was 500% inflation here. Um, you you have to adjust every day to the new circumstances. You have to think about, do I use the US dollars today that I got yesterday for this exchange rate or do I use my mobile money in my phone because I have maybe a better or a worse exchange rate here? Or do I use the Zimbabwe dollar that I should spend immediately because tomorrow it's worth less? Yeah, I mean, everything you're describing is just all of the signals or signs of a broken economy, uh, which is effectively what, what exactly what happened in Venezuela. Uh, it creates a, a horrible user experience and, and, and a lot of anxiety, really, for, for people. Can you articulate, I guess, how people use Bitcoin in Zimbabwe uh, primarily? Or what are the sort of main use cases that you're seeing on the ground? Okay, so trading is definitely a use case. Then remittances. I know people sending money from the diaspora to, to the people home here in Zimbabwe. I've got a friend who has a freelancer in Ghana working with her. And for the last two years, she has been sending her Bitcoin um, for her salary. I think that was very complicated before because the African banking system in many countries is completely broken. And for instance, you can't easily send money from 
some African countries to other African countries. So that's a very big use case. Also, as I said before, um, the possibility to earn Bitcoin from abroad for the digital work that you are doing here is a big use case. I know a, a guy who is a digital marketer. He's working for international companies and they are paying him in Bitcoin. And they have been doing this, I think, since 20, he told me 2015 or something, I think. And we now have the first Bitcoin miners in Zimbabwe. I'm very proud that that also happened um, because I connected people together. And there is a guy from the UK who was so great to donate some old, for him, old ASIC miners. And now there's the first uh, small mining operations running in, in, the, in another part of, the, of Zimbabwe. I can't say where or who is doing it, which I find also is a great use case, you know. That, that people see it's possible to mine Bitcoin with solar power because there is, as you know, very much sun here. <laughs> These are the use cases that I think uh, are the most important ones. I actually wasn't aware that, uh, I'm not surprised, but I wasn't aware at how complicated uh, it was to send money from one African country to another. Are there other countries in Africa that you've visited where you think Bitcoin has the potential to help people? I guess the, the answer, I mean, before I pass it to you, I believe we both agree that Bitcoin has the potential uh, to help. Zambia is uh, one of the neighboring countries of Zimbabwe, and it's a little bit more stable than Zimbabwe. I think Zambia is also a great place uh, to use Bitcoin. Um, they already have some, well, one regulated exchange. I know that from, from my last visit. I did some talks there and I'm very happy that what has changed since like 2020 when I was here the first time. Um, with my last visit, I tried to um, inspire people here on the ground who are interested in Bitcoin and are convinced that it might, will help them in the future, and it's already helping them now, that they run their own meetups. And um, especially that these are Bitcoin-only meetups because there is a lot of scams going on. I wanted to do a little bit like that also in South Africa. And I visited Bitcoin Ekasi in South Africa. And I think that's also one of the, the, the most interesting projects in the Bitcoin space at the moment, because Bitcoin Ekasi is a township in, in Mossel Bay that's about three, four hours away from Cape Town. It's a, a township where around 5,000 people live and in difficult circumstances. And they have like 17 shops there, you know, these small informal shops and the, some children of the, the township are able to attend the Surfer Kids uh, Surf. So the, the initiator, Hermann Vivier, is also the, the, the owner of the surf, um, uh, surfing company that basically allows tourists to learn how to surf. And 10 years ago, he thought, I want to do something for, for the people here. And he invited children to come to his surf school and is teaching them uh, surfing for free. Now there are young men from the township teaching the children surfing. And those coaches are now also Bitcoin coaches. Because Hermann saw uh, Bitcoin Beach and how it worked there. And he thought, actually, that sounds nice. I can do the same. I also have a surf school. <laughs> 
So he started uh, Bitcoin Ekasi. And so the children get, they have a teacher every day. They learn a bit, a little bit because the school is not doing that for them. They also get food there and they learn about Bitcoin. And then the, the coaches earn their salary in Bitcoin. And then uh, they go every day, they go back to their home in the township And then they visit the shops and spend their Bitcoin there on their daily needs for their daily goods. And Lufando, who is the senior coach, he lives also in the township and he made it possible that now 10 out of 17 shops accept Bitcoin. The first shop owner was Nusichle, um, a young woman who only accepted Bitcoin because Lufando showed her, look, this is real, it's digital. Uh, but you can't you can't uh, touch it, but you can buy things with it. And he showed her how to buy real goods. And then she was convinced, okay, that's okay. That's real money. I'm going to use it. And so that's really great use case to build a circular economy where people can earn and spend Bitcoin and learn about it in the same moment. And especially, I think, for the young children, um, for the young people there, They grow up in an environment where they learn to use a technology from the future in a way. I mean, you know, for others, it's really in the future and they will be a step ahead. And I hope that Bitcoin and these learnings will help them uh, to, to yeah, step up the game or, or have a better life in the future. Yeah, That is such a fascinating concept and project. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes uh, for people that want to learn more about it. I certainly do. You mentioned scams in this context, and I think this is important to touch on because when Bitcoin is getting adopted out of necessity, it creates a, a ripe environment for people to take advantage of that need and that desperation at that time. How have you overcome this concept or how have you helped people that might be skeptical uh, or believe that you know you know bitcoin is a scam because of experiences that they've had in the past i think the most important thing is to be here and to speak to people person to person because digitally uh, like only on the internet how do you want to build trust you can uh, tell everyone you're a good person but you kill, still can scam them And I think meeting people on the ground builds a lot of trust and that's what I'm doing. So the first question mostly is, is Bitcoin legit? Is it not a scam? And then, yeah, I start talking about the use cases and about how it is a technology like the internet and not a product. Because most people believe one can join Bitcoin. You know, you get the question, how can I join Bitcoin? And you can't join Bitcoin. You can't join the internet. So... And also it's, it comes as a surprise to many people that you don't have to buy a startup package. You don't have to bring someone, you know, connect your family or friends and things like that. People all over the world, especially in Africa and Latin America, have been betrayed by their governments over and over. Not surprisingly, trust runs very thin in these parts of the world. And this is something that Nita is constantly trying to overcome. She's doing this by offering localized education and beginner-friendly resources 
through her non-for-profit Bitcoin for Fairness and through her book, Learn Bitcoin. So the book Learn Bitcoin was my project to put together a compiled format of all the things you need to know about Bitcoin when you're starting using it. Because there is a lot of information online, but where do you start, you know? And I think in my book, you have a great step-by-step way to get you deeper and deeper into the topic, like starting from the question of why would I even need to use Bitcoin or why should I maybe think about it? How does the technology work? And then going into um, very detailed uh, hands-on recommendations on how to do it, how to self-custody your Bitcoin with wallet recommendations and all these sorts of things. So, so that was my goal for the book, to have like a small Bible for Bitcoin beginners. With Bitcoin for Fairness, I wanted to build a sort of a bigger platform to help people on the ground or not help to support people on the ground. And, you know, with doing it just as Anita Posh, uh, it's difficult to bring other contributors from, from the world in to say, hey, can I help? What can I do to support the message or spread the word about Bitcoin, an educational Bitcoin word, basically, in the global south? Bitcoin for fairness, I, I named it that way because I think that's the ultimate use case for Bitcoin is economic empowerment and enforcing human rights and enabling people to gain financial freedom. And I don't mean financial freedom in the sense of getting rich. I mean the financial freedom in that sense that you are not financially oppressed anymore, that you can send your money globally, un- which is and, and the money that is uncensorable, that your government can't steal from you, that nobody can steal from you, that can't be inflated. And the, the most important property for me of Bitcoin is being open and permissionless, meaning you don't need an ID to use it. You don't need to buy on an on a, on a, on a exchange that's uh, with know your customer identification and all these sorts of things. For me, Bitcoin is digital cash, which enables you to send it and receive it freely. That also provides you privacy. I, I absolutely ag- uh, agree with that. And I think the, the, the very powerful thing about Bitcoin is that it, can, it gives you the option. It gives you the option to interact with you know, ex- exchanges or investment services if you wish to, but it, gives you, it also gives you the option to self-custody and to remain you know, the, the owner of your own cash or assets. Exactly. You don't need to own anything in advance. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to have property. You don't and will get a loan someday or or whatever, you know. So it's for everyone. And that is this equalizer, you know, uh, uh, that, that makes like everyone, puts everyone on the same level. Rich or poor can use it. And I think that's the, the great thing about Bitcoin. No, I absolutely agree. And I think that's, a, that's why, you know, people like ourselves are, are so passionate to build on this is, you know, in our case, you know, we, we build options and services that people can choose to use if they, if they like or they find benefit on it. But by no means do we force anybody to use any of the services, right? They, they, can, they can choose to keep self-custody. They can choose to come to Lennon or wherever else. Uh, but I think it's ha- it's very powerful to have options because, to your point, that's precisely what people don't have uh, back there. Like you, you, yeah. 
I completely agree. And now it, um, something comes to my mind. Uh, I remember I told you about the miner before here in, in Zimbabwe. Um, made an interview with me. And in that interview, he told me that he's taking some of the proceeds that he earns from the mining and he uses it for on leaden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That is great to know. You know, you, you mentioned on the ground. And I, I guess I'd like to ask you, you spent a lot of time on the ground, more than most people have in these, in these, in these economies. How has that shaped your beliefs about Bitcoin's future potential? Yeah, it showed me the need for it. So it showed me really how desperate people's lives here are. And it basically enforced my belief in Bitcoin that it is, it is the only tool that is really enabling people to exchange money freely and gives them the possibility to own their own money. And I think that made me more and more realize how important it is also for human rights activists and people like that and for civil resistance. And also, I read an interesting quote the other day. It was about how the civil uh, society and the individuals in that civil society only can bring down dictators and autocratic leaders with joining force forces, you know, individually having a community and a collective. And I think that is also what Bitcoin gives us. If all the individuals in a country, in a dictatorship, would start using Bitcoin, you can take down dictators because you dry them out. They don't get their money anymore. Yeah, And so it, it, it enforced that belief in Bitcoin's unique features and the possibility uh, to solve these problems. But also at the same time, I, I you know, I'm, I'm so optimistic and I always think, oh, people, they are using it already and many of them and whatever. And then when you come here and see the problems that people have, you understand that they don't have the time to read a book about Bitcoin, maybe, you know, and start uh, risking the small amount of money they have um, in using Bitcoin. So um, it's a little bit of a reality check, you know. I 100% uh, uh, agree with you there because this is, this is a point that I make often to people when they ask me about how people are, are getting into Bitcoin in Venezuela. And I'm saying it is not how you're getting into Bitcoin here. It is not by reading books and going to conferences. It is out of desperation and necessity. And then I think that's what makes education to avoid scams out of the need that arises in these situations, it, it, it's so important to take the time and do it, right? Because it's 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 not a natural uh, option that they're going to gravitate to because it's it's many times it can feel foreign to them. Um, Actually, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Yes. Yeah, you know, I guess um, just just thinking back to my time in Venezuela, I, I spent a lot of time in my early days also teaching people how to mine, how to set up their mines, how to use Bitcoin, and I remember the reactions from them and how incredible that would make me feel at the time, because I felt like I was getting somebody, you know, that, that saying, teaching somebody how to fish. Um, and, you know, you've, you've probably taught uh, a lot, you know, you've, not probably, you've taught a lot of people in these, in these emerging countries and you've certainly had some of these experiences. Is there like one particular reaction or story that's memorable to you and, and how that made you feel? 
Now, I've, I, I always enjoy young people also uh, coming to these um, talks and um, asking me about Bitcoin. But also I had people older than me um, uh, where, where I really enjoy seeing them grasping the, the situation and, and, and finding out what Bitcoin really is because they are curious about it. And I, I can't remember now a special thing, but like yesterday we met with a Zimbabwean woman working for a big um, legal like um, legal company. Do you say that? Um, mm -hmm. And international company, and they are they are paying her in RTGS, which is the Zimbabwean dollar, which loses like 500 percent uh, a month. And um, I said to her, so. Do they actually pay you a higher salary? I mean, do they adapt it to the inflation? And she said, yes, but it's always lagging behind. And um, so you see that the, the basically the people who earn the money, they suffer from the Cantillo effect a little bit more. That's exa exactly the proof, I think, for me. And so... And then she told me, she was laughing about the fact that I'm a Bitcoin educator because she said, you know, just yesterday, my 16-year-old daughter, she was coming to me and asking me, shall I try this Bitcoin thing? And I said to her, no, 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 never. You don't do that. And now I'm talking with you. And I said to her, yeah, you should come <laughs> around to our workshop or to my next talk. I really want to meet your 16-year-old daughter and then we work things out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's excellent. And I think we, you know, thank you for doing that. And we need more of that in, in all parts of the world, I think. Um, I um I wanna, I wanna give you a chance. Not give you a chance. I wanna highlight your show, the Anita Paw Show, uh, which is an excellent uh, resource for anybody looking at it. We're we're gonna put the the show notes behind uh, under. We're gonna put the link on the show notes. And um, I guess as as we kind of approach the the top of the hour, I wanted to ask you, what is next for you and Bitcoin for Fairness? Yeah. So now I'm here for a couple of weeks in Zimbabwe. And meeting people I already got to know, uh, meeting new uh, people, talking, doing a wallet, a hardware wallet workshop. Um, I've got some Trezor hardware wallets here. Trezor is sponsoring it. And also Leden is sponsoring my work. Yeah, we got to <laughs> say that here. So thank you very much for that. And um, from here, so we will travel through um, Zimbabwe and to Victoria Falls. I know of a, sh a restaurant there accepting Bitcoin and I, of course, want to meet up with the people there. Next stop is Zambia. I will be attending the Internet Freedom Forum conference. Uh, that's the sort of the name. I can't remember the name now, but a big conference on Internet freedom in Lusaka and um, do a meetup in Lusaka. We're also going to do a workshop for journalists because the journalists here know little uh, to nothing about Bitcoin. And I think it's important to help them grasp the concept and what Bitcoin really is. And then my friend in Zambia uh, has made up a new uh, possibility. He said, are you interested in going to the police and telling them about Bitcoin, how it is not a scam. <laughs> and I said, of course, let's do that. <laughs> and so, and then I, I don't know from, from then on, actually, maybe I'm going to other African countries too. 
And I'm planning on going to Brazil in November to the SATS uh, conference and then to Argentina to La Bitconf and then back to Ghana to the Afro Bitcoin conference. And so, yeah, the, for the next months, I'm traveling, only traveling. <laughs> well, I will see you in Argentina because uh, we're, we're going to be at La Bitconf as well. So I'm excited to see you. Great. Looking uh, forward to that. Definitely. Anita, where can listeners find out more about yourself, your show and Bitcoin for Fairness? Yes, my website is anitaposh.com. Then the Bitcoin for Fairness website is bffbtc.org. And on my website, you also find the link to the podcast. I also have a newsletter, which is at anita.link slash newsletter. And the best thing actually to follow me is on Twitter because I tweet daily, several times, <laughs> and also uh, tweet out the pictures and the thing I learn and experience here on, uh, while I'm traveling. At the book, sorry, the book is at learnbitcoin.link. That's excellent. And uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, Amnita does great work in all accounts. Uh, we're big supporters of her work. Thank you so, so much for having us. Uh, and I can't wait to see you soon. Yes, thank you very much, Mauricio, for the invitation and also for the support that Leiden gave Bitcoin for Fairness and me. Thank you very much. The road to find your passion and to make a career out of it can be long and unpredictable. But as Anita's story shows us, when you find meaning in your work, you become incredibly passionate about what you do. And it doesn't feel like work. Before we got on a call, Anita was showing me Zimbabwe's new billion-dollar bills with a beaming smile and telling me about her plans for the next workshop with a lot of excitement. Her work is not always easy as she operates on the ground in places where trust has been eroded by a lifetime of unfairness and government corruption. Her workshops help many in Africa and beyond trust a new monetary system and rediscover their financial independence. Her podcast celebrates incredible human stories of accomplishment of the people that she discovers in her journeys. Bitcoin for Fairness is a grassroots Bitcoin initiative in its purest sense. And the hands-on practical element of teaching this technology is the right method, also based on my experience in Venezuela. Anita was always searching for something more in her life, and it seems that she found it because of Bitcoin. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and all of the resources we mentioned in the episode will be available in the show notes as always. Thank you so much to Anita for joining me, and thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this Because of Bitcoin episode, I would be very grateful for the five seconds it would take you to drop us a review and give us a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. This will really help us reach even more listeners. And if you'd like to learn more about Bitcoin, be sure to check out our newsletter by subscribing at ledn.io. That's ledn.io. Again, this was Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, muchas gracias y los quiero mucho. Chao, chao.